0: Day 4 of Tutus Tous' Novena to Our Lady of Lourdes With quotes from Blessed John Paul II's apostolic letter Salvifici Dolores On the salvific meaning of suffering For God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten Son That whoever believes in him Should not perish but have eternal life These words, spoken by Christ in his conversation with Nicodemus, introduce us into the very center of God's salvific work. They also express the very essence of Christian soteriology, that is, the theology of salvation. Salvation means liberation from evil, and for this reason it is closely bound up with the problem of suffering. According to the words spoken to Nicodemus, God gives His Son to the world, to liberate man from evil, which bears within itself the definitive and absolute perspective on suffering. At the same time, the very word gives, gave, indicates that this liberation must be achieved by the only begotten Son through His own suffering. And in this, love is manifested, infinite love both of this only begotten Son and of the Father who for this gives his Son. This is love for man, love for the world. It is salvific love. We find ourselves here. We must clearly realize this in our shared reflection on this problem in a completely new dimension of our theme. It is a different dimension from the one which was determined, and in a sense, concluded, the search for the meaning of suffering within the limit of justice. This is the dimension of redemption, to which in the Old Testament, at least in the Vulgate text, the words of the just man Job already seem to herald. For I know that my Redeemer lives, And at last, I shall see God. Whereas our consideration so far has concentrated primarily, and in a sense exclusively, on suffering in its multiple temporal dimension, as well as on the sufferings of the just man Job, the words quoted above from Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus refer to suffering in its fundamental and definitive meaning. God gives his only begotten Son, so that man should not perish. And the meaning of these words, not perish, is precisely specified by the words that follow, but have eternal life. Man perishes when he loses eternal life. The opposite of salvation is not, therefore, only temporal suffering any kind of suffering, but definitive suffering, the loss of eternal life, being rejected by God, damnation. The only begotten Son was given to humanity to protect man above all else against this definitive evil and against definitive suffering. In His salvific mission, The Son must therefore get to evil right at its transcendental roots from which it develops in human history. These transcendental roots of evil are fixed in sin and death. They are in fact found at the base of the loss of eternal life. The mission of the only begotten Son consists in conquering sin and death. He conquers sin by his obedience unto death and he overcomes death by his resurrection. When we say that Christ, by his mission, gets at evil at its very roots, we have in mind not only evil and definitive eschatological suffering, so that man should not perish but have eternal life, but also, at least indirectly, evil and suffering in their temporal and historical dimension for evil remains bound to sin and death. And even if we must with great caution judge man's suffering as a consequence of concrete sins, this is shown precisely by the example of the just man Job. Nevertheless, suffering cannot be divorced from the sin of the origins, from what St. John calls the sin of the world, from the sinful background of personal actions and social processes and human history. If it is not permissible to apply here the narrow criterion of direct dependence, as Job's three friends did, neither, however, can one reject the criterion that, at the base of human suffering, there is a complex involvement with sin. It is the same when we deal with death. Many times it is even awaited as a liberation from the suffering of this life. At the same time, it is impossible to ignore the fact that it constitutes, as it were, a definitive synthesis of the destructive work as much in the bodily organism as in the psyche. But death, above all, involves the dissolution of the entire psychophysical personality of man. The soul survives and subsists separated from the body, while the body is subjected to gradual decomposition according to the words of the Lord God, pronounced after the sin committed by man at the beginning of his earthly history. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Therefore, even if death is not a suffering in the temporal sense of the word, even if in a way it is beyond all suffering, at the same time, the evil which the human being experiences in death has a definitive and total character. By his salvific work, the only begotten Son liberates man from sin and death. First of all, he blots out from human history the dominion of sin, which took root under the influence of the evil spirit, beginning with original sin and then he gives man the possibility of living and sanctifying grace. In the wake of the victory over sin, he also takes away the dominion of death by his resurrection, the beginning of the future resurrection of the body. Both are essential conditions of eternal life, that is, of man's definitive happiness in union with God. This means, for the saved, that in the eschatological perspective, suffering is totally blotted out. As a result of Christ's salvific work, man exists on earth with a hope of eternal life and holiness. And although the victory over sin and death achieved by Christ in his cross and resurrection does not abolish temporal suffering from human life, nor liberate the whole historical dimension of human existence from suffering. However, it throws a new light on this dimension, and on every suffering, the light of salvation. This is the light of the gospel, that is, of the good news. At the centre of this light is the truth expounded in the conversation with Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. This truth radically changes the framework of man's history, and his earthly situation. In spite of the sin that took root in this history, both as an original inheritance, as the sin of the world, and as the sum of personal sins, God the Father has loved the only begotten Son, That is, he loves him always. Then in time, precisely by reason of this love which surpasses everything, he gives the Son, that he may get at the very roots of human evil, and thus in a salvific way draw close to the whole world of suffering in which man shares. In his messianic activity in the midst of Israel, Christ drew increasingly closer to the world of human suffering. He went about doing good, and his actions concerned above all those suffering and those waiting for help. He healed the sick, consoled the afflicted, fed the hungry, freed people from deafness, from blindness, from leprosy, from the devil and from various physical disabilities, and three times he restored the dead to life. He was sensitive to every human suffering, whether of the body or of the soul. At the same time he taught, and at the center of his teaching are the eight Beatitudes, which are addressed to men tried by various sufferings in their temporal life. They are the poor in spirit, the afflicted, those who hunger and thirst for justice, and those who are persecuted for justice' sake, whom people insult, persecute, and falsely say all manner of evil against them for the sake of Christ. This, according to Matthew. Luke mentions explicitly those who hunger now. At any rate, Above all, Christ drew close to the world of human suffering, through the fact of having taken this suffering upon his very self. During his public activity, he experienced not only fatigue, homelessness, misunderstanding even by those closest to him, but more than anything, he was ever more tightly encircled by hostility, and the preparations for putting him to death became ever clearer. Christ is aware of this, and often speaks to his disciples of the sufferings and deaths that await him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him, scourge him and kill him. But after three days he will rise again. Christ goes towards his passion and death with full awareness of the mission that he has to fulfill precisely in this way. Precisely by means of this suffering he must bring it about that man should not perish but have eternal life. Precisely by means of his cross he must get at the roots of evil planted in the history of man and in human souls precisely by means of his cross he must accomplish the work of salvation this work in the plan of eternal love has a redemptive character and therefore christ severely reproves peter when the latter wants to make him abandon the thoughts of suffering and of death on the cross and when during his arrest in gethsemane peter tries to defend him with a sword Christ says, Put your sword back into its place, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, according to which it must be so? And he also says, Shall I not drink the chalice which the Father has given me? This response, like others that reappear in different points in the gospel, shows how profoundly, Christ was imbued with a thought that he had already expressed in his conversation with Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Christ goes toward his own suffering, aware of its saving power. He goes in obedience to the Father, but above all, he is united to the Father in this love with which he has loved the world and man in the world. And for this reason, St. Paul will write of Christ. He loved me and gave himself for me. Let us pray. humble woman, blessed by the Most High. Virgin of Hope, prophecy of the new times, we join in your song of praise to celebrate the mercies of the Lord, to proclaim the coming of the Kingdom and the full liberation of humanity. Hail Mary, humble servant of the Lord, glorious Mother of Christ. Faithful Virgin, Holy Dwelling of the Word, teach us to persevere in listening to the Word, to be docile to the voice of the Spirit, attentive to His appeals in the intimacy of our conscience and to His manifestations in the events of history. Hail Mary, Woman of Sorrow, Mother of the Living, Virgin Spouse beneath the cross the new Eve be our guide along the paths of the world teach us to live and spread the love of Christ to stand with you beneath the innumerable crosses on which your son is still crucified Hail Mary Woman of Faith First of the Disciples Virgin Mother of the Church Help us always to give an account for the hope which is in us Trusting in the goodness of man and the love of the Father Teach us to build the world from within In the depths of silence and prayer in the joy of fraternal love, in the irreplaceable fruitfulness of the cross. Holy Mary, Mother of believers, Our Lady of Lord, pray for us.